0: Did you forget our intro? Shh.
1: I remember it now. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Exhausted. Yeah, okay. So, uh, context, we're also recording this on the same time as the previous episode, so.
0: Equally exhausted.
1: Yeah, but, um, hey, the caffeine has to have more time to settle in. So, for me. Not for you, you're still. On Not the for straw. me,
0: I'm still cold turkey on the caffeine.
1: Alright, let's go, let's do this episode. Hello. Welcome to Foss and Crafts.
0: A podcast about free software, free culture, and making things together.
1: With my co-host Morgan.
0: And my co-host Chris.
1: Well, as a follow up to the previous episode, now we're going to talk about, I guess, the application of some of these things, which I'm I'm not being very clear at all. Yeah. In opening this up, let's let's get specific.
0: So we're we're going to talk about my dissertation.
1: Ooh, this is the dissertation episode.
0: No, absolutely not. <laughs>
1: okay, all right. So, how are we? What? How? What? How are we talking about your dissertation? We we're now?
0: talking about if you let me finish my sentence, my dissertation in scribble
1: ah okay
0: and why we decided to basically write my dissertation in code
1: writing your dissertation in code what because you're not writing a computer science paper and you're
0: i am not
1: right you're writing it
0: Unless we wanted to get meta and talk about the the roots of computer science and weaving.
1: We can do that at a future episode. But for now, let's stop giving future episode previews <laughs> and talk about... Let's give a refresher, especially if somebody did not listen to the previous episode. Very briefly, what is Scribble?
0: Scribble is a markup language that uses racket.
1: It's secretly you're writing racket code, but you're really just writing text that is actually... Converted into Racket that's then converted into HTML or PDF or whatever, right? Yeah.
0: So a question that my advisor has asked me many times, why would I do
1: that? Right. So one motivator is then you get to take advantage of cool programming tools like revision control.
0: For which we are using Git Annex.
1: Yes. So Git Annex. Maybe some of our listeners have heard of Git. Git Annex is then a layer on top of Git. So, let we we actually started off with just Git initially. You just were committing because you're when you did the uh, um, the Ramsey Ledger website thing, you did that one in Git, mm-hmm. um, and that was in Python and and so on. But, a-
0: and we had a Git repository for the digital humanities workshops.
1: That's right. So you've used Git before. I have, but you don't use Git all the time and.
0: In order to use Git, I have a cheat sheet right. <laughs> to remind me how to do things.
1: Well, that's the thing. So, like, Git is not... Git is, like, the opposite of good user experience, I think. Even it is not intuitive. It is not intuitive. It's nice if you're using Emacs, because then you get to use Maggot, which is wonderful. But since the rest of the world is not all using Emacs... And
0: cannot see how hard I'm rolling my eyes.
1: Okay, yeah, then... Git is not great for user experience reasons. If you use it every day, if you're checking in and committing code every day, then it's easy enough to get in the zone, especially if you're working with a team of people who expect to also be using it. And then that's like an extra motivator, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've got a a series of other collaborators who are also working with it, and that's going to pressure you. But if you're just writing your dissertation...
0: It's kind of inherently not a group project. So
1: it's not very motivating. Like you're like, okay, well, I could stop to commit this or I could just keep writing this chapter. Right. Yeah.
0: Plus the imposter syndrome sets in and I'm like, did I really do enough to make a commit?
1: So the answer is almost always yet. Yeah, commit always and commit often. But yes, I, I understand that thing. And then if you wait too long, then it gets the then opposite it, problem. Then I made
0: too many changes and the revision control isn't even useful.
1: Yeah. So git annex is useful for a few things. There's basically two major motivators here. One of them is git annex assistant, which is a thing that it comes with, which automatically commits your files. It mm-hmm. notices when they change and it just commits them. Right? So that's which is helpful. good because
0: yeah. I don't remember most of the time.
1: And it can commit them in the same way that it commits normal text git files that you, you manage in Git just like anything else, is just automatically committing them, with not as helpful as a commit message, but hey, it's now being committed. And you still have all the other advantages of Git that you would get. And that's way better than not committing or having a commit message that says, here's three months of work, right? Git Annex Assistant, super useful. What's the second reason we wanted Git Annex Assistant or Git Annex?
0: I am not just submitting text files. I am writing my dissertation in art history, which means that I have lots of images Currently, my dissertation has 118 images, and there are almost as many pages of images as there are pages of text.
1: Right. So Git Annex, the primary thing that the Annex is, is that it's got this special area it calls an Annex where it keeps all the really big files that um, you might want to have managed. So like images or movies or anything else like that that's just huge and binary mm-hmm. and that Git isn't really designed for.
0: Which there will be some videos for my dissertation coming soon as well. Yes. <laughs> so.
1: so Git Annex is really great for all that stuff. And it also provides a way to do like basically file synchronization. You mm-hmm. can also only download partial of those things. Like so I don't have all the images and movies that are part of your repository or all of the PDFs you've committed as source files and stuff. Yeah. So I can just pull down the things that are useful for me when I'm doing the part that we will talk about in the second half of this episode um, to make sure that your dissertation is compiling correctly, but then I, I can ignore the rest. So that I guess there's a third reason then, which is that with Git Annex, since you don't have to keep all the files, that also means that if we ever wanted to publish your Git repository, we could publish all of the stuff except for the image files that you don't have proper copyright licensing for. Yeah. So
0: some of the images in my dissertation, I took myself and have released under CC by SA. Mm -hmm. But I don't have access to underground tombs in Rome, especially right now. So I have not been able to take my own photographs of the Hypogeum of the Aurelii for example. So those are images that I do not have copyright for. All
1: right, And the institution that has the let's let's see how well Chris can pronounce that. It's going to be bad, probably. The Tomb of Hypogeum of Aureli. How bad was that?
0: Hypogeum of the Aureli is a tomb, yes.
1: Okay, great. Good job, me. <laughs> but the pronunciation was mostly right, right? Mostly right, yes. Okay, all right. I get
0: just kind of scrambled some words a bit.
1: Sixty yeah. percent, technically a passing score. The problem is, is, that those institutions have not granted a free culture copyright license that is that the rest of your work you'd like to be able to have under right. Exactly. And so it's there's legal restrictions on being able to re- release the rest of that. And since Git Annex allows publishing only partial things, that also makes it a little bit. It helps with the hygiene of that problem, basically. Mm-hmm. So okay, so that's that's the motivation for Git Annex, and actually, let's talked a lot about the tooling. We didn't really talk about what it gives you, right? So the main thing that it gives you is time travel. Yeah, right? it's like that's basically what revision control is. Power is.
0: Yeah, I I don't remember who this was, but I was having a conversation with someone at Libre Planet a few years ago who said that history really needs revision control. <laughs> and in, in this case, I agree.
1: Yeah, history needs uh, a history management system. Yes,
0: yeah. and they were actually talking about history as an academic field. But I like that quote
1: out of context. History as well. needs revision control. Ah, oh, you got to manage that history, history. Okay, great. So that's that's what Git Annex gives you. And therefore, since Scribble is a textual format, Git Annex assistant is just automatically committing your files. Mm-hmm. Um, but if like You and I are both editing some of the same stuff, which really happens. I don't really edit Morgan's. um, I don't directly change the text of Morgan's dissertation. Oh, no, that would not be good. But if I... Although
0: you have commented on it while you were editing.
1: Yeah, that's true. I've added source code comments uh, when I've had my own thoughts on a paragraph. Um,
0: Because for those who don't know, Chris edits everything that I write.
1: Edits it as in uh, terms of I review and fr- and leave me notes and leave you notes and to help um, me
0: with things like grammar and stuff,
1: yes, Morgan's perfectly capable, but everybody benefits especially Everyone when you're writing needs an editor, especially when you're writing something that's over a hundred pages. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to have somebody read those very many pages and make sure that you know things are flowing and yeah. blah, blah, blah.
0: make sure that you put dying instead of dying
1: right yeah those are two different things
0: is a mistake that i made
1: but anyway so the the advantage of revision control is that you can travel back in time and find the period where uh dying dying where
0: where where there were a bunch of romans dying
1: right yeah but (laughs) uh, but i mean you you also can deal if there's conflicts like uh um i changed the function name for the way that the citation stuff worked and we'll explain why that might happen Mm -hmm. um and then uh, you also edited that paragraph at the same time, it's easy to see what happened and be able to fix those issues manually um, without either person clobbering each other's work, basically. Mm-hmm. So so that's what git annex and git plus scribble as a text file format gives us. Um, but that's not kind of the main heart of this episode yeah so let's talk about Oh wait wait
0: your... quick before we move on from uh get annex shout out to shout out to
1: joey hess for
0: maintaining that project
1: yes thank uh, you joey hess is a wonderful person uh hope to have them on this show at the, some point if they're willing to come on uh he but anyway the uh let's let's continue past the get annex and get more to the scribble stuff So what's the motivator, aside from now you're able to take advantage of revision control, what other things does using Scribble specifically give you?
0: It's practice and practicing what I preach in the digital humanities workshops. So it gives me a markup language and markup languages make it much easier to maintain consistent formatting.
1: So you can export to multiple formats basically take html and pdf and so on and so on yeah um and it'll all if you write italic in one it'll be italic in the other etc etc basically but also since we were doing these workshops that we talked about in the previous episode and we and also you have this plan for these digital humanities classes that meant that you're basically dog fooding dog fooding yeah okay yeah you're giving me a face dog fooding means sorry that's like a that's that's probably a term that's used more commonly in programming circles. It means that you're using the stuff that you're making in actual practice so that you're not just talking about it. You know what the experience is like. And the the, the phrase there is you eat your own dog food, which is kind of.
0: So that's gross. Yeah, that's
1: kind of gross, I guess. But
0: accurate?
1: Yeah. Well, if you if you have to eat your own dog food, you have then to you make, make
0: better dog food. I
1: guess. I don't really know. The general point, though, the point
0: is that I'm using the software that I'm trying to advocate advocate for other people to use. Right. And like we mentioned in the Digital Humanities Workshop episode, I can pull up my dissertation as an example and say, see, look, you see this CSV of just like lists of, or lines and lines and lines of different images let me press one button and here is a functioning uh image list
1: so wait how does that happen how do you get an image list does scribble come with an image list feature or also what is an image list
0: okay so image lists i was not aware that other fields didn't necessarily have this but i guess it makes sense
1: i think that's an art history term
0: uh so as you can imagine in art history there are lots of pictures um and For my dissertation in particular, it's really more of a material culture and archaeology dissertation, but that means that I have lots and lots of pictures of things like spindle whorls and loom weights and little bits of wood that probably were used in looms. We don't quite know. Um, And in order to keep those straight, you have to number them and... Insert them into the text so when I talk about this specific loom weight from Caranus in particular, I can point to it.
1: Yeah. Okay. So um, you manage those in a spreadsheet Mm -hmm. in LibreOffice, and but the the thing is, does Scribble have an generate image list from a spreadsheet function off the bat?
0: Nope.
1: (laughs) Okay. But the (laughs) that is
0: something we wrote.
1: But the thing is, is that. Since Scribble is technically just racket code, mm-hmm. it's easy enough to build something like that. Yeah. That then spits out the whole table structure and or the image list structure or whatever. Yeah,
0: and renumbers the images based off of the order that they are in the uh, spreadsheet. So if I want to move an image in my dissertation, I just have to move what line it is in in the spreadsheet and then... When Scribble does the output for the image list, it will renumber every other one. So anyone who's ever tried to do an image list in a word processor without um, something that was procedurally generating it knows that that is a nightmare. A nightmare, and quite time-consuming, especially if you've got a hundred and eighteen images.
1: Right, and there's basically a consistent form in which you need to be able to type out. You know, the name of the thing that's being shown and who took it and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah. And basically you're able to auto generate the same consistent formatting. And if somebody tells you, wait a minute, you actually need to put the last name, first name, not first name, last name or something. You can change the code once. And it updates all of them automatically.
0: Yeah, so basically all you really need is a unique identifier for each
1: of them. I think the general point is, is that you can write a function and then also you can adapt it to the needs of an environment. And, you know, if you update the general pattern within that function somewhere, it updates the use of that pattern everywhere. Is yeah. that a good description?
0: Yeah, and there, you can write pro- other programs into the document to do other Things as well, such as if you wanted to do some data mining. So if you were writing a literature paper and you wanted to look at how many times
1: T is said in Pride and Prejudice. Yes, or we may have said this in the previous episode, but or
0: or something that's actually more useful to research, like.
1: Well, well, what if you're writing a so, I so I guess we're departing from the humanities a little bit here, but um, well, it may depend on what you know. There's there's a broad you know. It, If you're in any of the quote-unquote sciences, Mm -hmm. right, you're probably going to be – you probably have a bunch of information that's like, you know, statistical information. Yeah. And you might want to generate graphs based off of that statistical information. Well, maybe you're generating many of the same kinds of graphs based off of different stuff. Well, you could put those all on your document. And then also this ties in with – A phrase that when we had Stefano Zaccaroli on the show, we were we had a conversation about reproducible research, right? Mm -hmm. Reproducible research where you're able to reproduce the same research findings as others, taking the same input, get the same output. Um, So you could use Scribble for something like that, where you're able to not only have a graph that shows here is the amount of rainfall that's changed over time in this area, you could supply the source code basically for that paper and also the data used and other people could get the same result.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so data mining inside of your just writing a function to do data mining inside of your document is useful for all kinds of fields. Yeah. Data mining
1: and like representation. Yeah. And charts and graphs and
0: calculations and things like that are broadly applicable but oh. for my dissertation it was mostly image lists and some charts and graphs and stuff like that
1: yep okay so um so what what kind of what was your workflow like were you able to get to a point where things felt reasonably comfortable as in terms of writing or did it yeah. feel like you were writing code more than you were writing your dissertation
0: well i think it probably helped that before i wrote my dissertation in scribble I wrote a Scribble tutorial on how to write a paper using Scribble. So I was already pretty familiar with the interface of Dr. Racket and with Scribble as a markup language, but it's pretty comfortable to use to actually write your document in as well. So it has a spell checker and uh, find and replace and things like that that, you know, make it usable. And then it's also, like any markup language, uh, makes it much more consistent to format. So you set the style for categories and subcategories and headings. And as long as you're using that same uh, tag for those things, then it's going to be consistent all the time. Whereas if you're using... A word processor, and I mentioned this in the uh, in the Digital Humanities workshop episode as well, but like, you could be using the same font for everything, and then you copy a quote from the internet, and all of a sudden, your formatting is slightly different, and you may not notice. And uh, shout out to students, that is one way that teachers know if you're cheating <laughs> um, and plagiarizing, is because you did not...
1: You suddenly uh, switch styles. Yeah,
0: you suddenly switch styles without noticing because you pasted something that someone else wrote somewhere else.
1: Yeah, so that's that all makes sense. Um so the so it it's but the the summary it sounds like is that you were able to use it and still mostly focus on writing your, your dissertation as writing your dissertation without yes. having to think about it as if it was writing code, but you were yeah. using Dr. Racket, which is a code editor, but has enough features to support writing things in this way.
0: Yeah, and I think that it's a, it's a displaced benefit. So there's a higher um, a higher learning curve at the beginning when you're when you're acclimating to writing your dissertation in Racket. But it saves you a lot of time in the long run on things like formatting and image lists and things like that.
1: And, and the long run may vary, right? If you're only mm-hmm. writing one paper, maybe it's not as much of a benefit. But if you're writing many papers over time or, or you're if writing you're a Or
0: if you're writing one paper that takes you five years.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> If you're writing a book, yeah, I think that's called a book when it book. gets that big.
0: And, and speaking of it as a book, another benefit of doing it in Scribble is that you can have a um, one document that ties all of the other documents together. So you can write each individual chapter as their own independent Scribble file. And then you have kind of the title page that then links all of those together in the same document
1: basically making a a table of contents that just links together a bunch of other web pages yeah
0: and so in my last round of edits i switched the order of two of my chapters and And in in order to do that all i had to do was switch the lines in my title page
1: right and it also automatically reorder updated all the ordering of like uh all the the chapter names and stuff like that. And also links between different sections and stuff Mm -hmm. like that.
0: Which if you've ever done this manually using a word processor, you know that that's going to be a day's worth of work.
1: Right. And we actually haven't gotten to it yet, but I think it's going to save you a lot of time when we get to the point where you start adding the index to your book and it'll automatically generate an index for you.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, But we're getting a bit ahead there. Um, So we let's, uh, Let's talk about... Um,
0: Let's talk about how you sold me on the bibliography.
1: Yeah, so I one of my arguments was, yeah, it's really annoying having to write a bibliography. It's the thing I hated most when I was in college was formatting bibliography things. And I,
0: it's a thing that I hate, too. I've also mentioned in other episodes, I um, have ADD and dyslexia, and bibliographies, therefore, are super confusing to they, me.
1: They feel like torture, right? Because yeah. you're like, oh... Do I put this name before that name? Which one do I italicize? Do I blah, blah, blah? And when you
0: already transpose words in your head, then...
1: Then that's really difficult. Yeah. So yeah, so the appeal of you just enter the information as like data, like uh, here's the author, here's the blah, blah, blah and everything, and then the program just takes care of it for you is really appealing. And I said, hey, look, I see on this page that it already has bibliography support and it even mentions BibTeX, which is a LaTeX bibliography thing. So therefore, I assume it has all the features that I took advantage of when I was in college, mm-hmm. where BibTeX has the ability to... People have already written bibliography formatting stuff for a bunch of different bibliography formats. So if you write a paper and you submit it to one journal and they're like, hey, we use you know AJA, and then you submit mm-hmm. it to another one, they're like, we use emily i don't remember yep. what the name of all these are it's, you know chicago manual style i don't remember if this is which one's which but anyway you just switch out what that one is and it'll change the formatting for you mm-hmm. so this was an argument i had for you this which is sounded save you time.
0: great to me because i hate doing formatting for bibliographies
1: so man, now we're going to get into the challenges we ran into yeah turns
0: out the scribble does not have any of the standard mla apa chicago formatting styles like the ones that if you're on a on a library website and you go to export the citation it doesn't have any of the standard ones
1: so that the prop the thing is scribbles bibliography stuff had a small fixed number of fields that were um having talked to some of the people who worked on scribble with like a certain amount of hand waving and apologia they're like well that's kind of basically because these were written for the needs of the people who were writing papers here and kind of enough to get it done. So we don't have all the fields that you might have available. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really written in a way where that was extensible either. Yeah. It so was like, for
0: example, there wasn't an option built into Scribble for citing a chapter of a book or anthology. So, which that's a large portion of citations that I need.
1: But you did get a patch in for that one, right? Yeah,
0: that was my first pull request.
1: So, so Morgan, it was listed in the uh, com- uh, the contributors to a racket release because Morgan submitted a uh, a patch for that, um, which was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the but that still wasn't enough. There were a whole bunch of other things that uh, it didn't have bibliography-wise, to the point where we were like, okay, it's. Clear that Scribble's bibliography stuff was basically written to meet some needs within a certain deadline,
0: and it does not meet my needs for my deadline.
1: So I guess we're going to have to write some custom tooling. Mm-hmm. But we're like, well, we can put Enter that after Chris. Well, initially we were like, we can put that off for a while, and because
0: at that point I was still using uh, Zotero as a citation manager. Right. Um, and I had initially been using it when I was writing my document using LibreOffice as the LibreOffice plugin. And then that broke. And I'm like, well, that's okay, because there's still a browser plugin for, for Zotero For Firefox. Yeah, for Firefox that I was using. And then that broke. And all of a sudden, I had no access to my bibliography.
1: So that's the point at which, and we weren't really sure what it was, it was after some Debian upgrade, I think. Yeah, Things I think it just, was
0: a Debian upgrade, and it just broke it.
1: It broke it, and I'm like, okay, don't panic. You know what? This is the point where we're just going to commit to doing the Scribble stuff, uh, doing your dissertation all in Scribble. So I did a horrible hack. What I did is I took the XML document that Scribble, that, that Zodoro had uh, published, the XML file mm-hmm. representation of the Zotero you, database. Because
0: you can export your uh, your Zotero, your entire Zotero uh, database into an XML.
1: And I wrote some Racket code that read all of that XML in and then spit out Racket code to represent the entire thing as a Racket file. Um, and I'm like, would you be able to edit this? And I, you were like, yeah, I could edit mm-hmm. that. Um, and, I did
0: have to manually edit most
1: of them. Right. So we... First of all, we did the export, and the export some of the my export wasn't perfect, and Morgan had to go in and clean up a lot of it. Um, and the other thing is, is that you also kept adding and changing entries, right? So mm-hmm. you had so Morgan ended up. I just wrote the initial version of that file, and then Morgan maintained it basically. Yeah, but it's in an, which
0: was pretty manageable.
1: Yeah, that was so that that worked, and the uh, um, and that was fine, except that uh, um, it was we had a bunch of fields that Scribble's bibliography stuff didn't support. And therefore I had to make this, I'm not going to go super in the details of it, but I basically had to write a separate and incompatible extension thing that was written in a mad rush before Morgan had to get in a dissertation deadline um, where I hacked together the ability to, I wrote a file called Zotbib.RKT for the Zotero export of the bibliography mm-hmm. thing. And that was able to render the bibliography close enough to correct that you were able to meet your deadline. Yes. So this was one of two times where I stepped in and wrote a bunch of code to support your your dissertation. Mm-hmm. One of them was about the thing that I said, don't worry scribble's gonna take care of it for you and you won't have to do anything
0: so i barely even had to ask you to do that one because you already felt guilty
1: i felt very guilty you barely had to ask me about either one because i felt very guilty about both of them because i convinced you to do your dissertation and scribble so i mean all it- i
0: had to do was say oh, i could have just done this in LibreOffice office and chris was like oh no
1: right i still think it was worth it dog fooding yes. wise and We're going to end up with some contributions that make it back upstream to Scribble, Mm -hmm. we hope. But there's a phrase that I once saw in somebody's uh, profile on like the Blender forums like a decade and a half ago. That was sometimes when you're on the bleeding edge, you're bleeding. And I feel like that's what was happening here, right? It's like, oh, like, let's do the bleeding edge thing. Like, let's use this for a domain that nobody's using it for currently. Mm -hmm. And And then
0: we discovered all of the scrapes.
1: Right, yeah. And cuts. But it was possible to do that, right? So I wrote that. And you mentioned that when you do the programming, you know, that since Scribble is Racket, you can write something. And, like, if you generate the image list, if you change the way that the image list is represented, if you change where you order things in the image list or something, it'll automatically update that for all entries. You don't have to manually update that. That was also true for the citation stuff and the bibliography stuff. Because the first pass of it wasn't exactly what you needed for your bibliography, Mm -hmm. right? But I was able to change the code later to spit out all the stuff. And then later, it actually spit out all the correct bibliography and citation entries as demanded by your committee, basically. Yes, Uh, And demanded by your committee because that's a standard thing for your field.
0: Yeah, because... And if you're writing it in a word processor, it shouldn't be that hard to make changes. But when you're writing it procedurally... It's hard to say. Oh no, I'm sorry. The italics still don't work,
1: right? So, so let's get into things like italics. We, uh, um, so the style that was printed out for the Scribble has a PDF export. Mm-hmm. Did it look like the style of PDF export that your field requires by default, though?
0: Not by default, no.
1: Okay, so like, do you want to just explain some of the differences between? So-
0: I think one of the main things that's different other than just, like, you know, margin size and stuff like that is in my field, I need block quotes. Because if I'm going to cite a verse of Catullus, um, that needs to be inset and single-spaced.
1: So so let's let's be clear. LaTeX has block quotes, and you yes. can do all of these things in there.
0: And there's a way to get block quotes from Scribble too.
1: Yes, um, but the so the problem came to be that Scribble was generating LaTeX that was then generating the PDF, um, and I wrote most of my papers in college in LaTeX, and that you know that's partly how i learned to program as i was like oh i heard that people in this irc channel tell me don't use open office which is what libreoffice was called at the time use emacs and law Tech. and i said okay and so i did that you know and then i handed pdfs to my professors and they're like what are these and i'm like yeah, I, yeah
0: a bunch uh, of them did not approve
1: yeah but but they they accepted it anyway when i you know, said, oh my computer just can't handle the other format. But uh the uh uh the or something like that I said. But they but the and and you can do the appropriate level of styling, but I always got so stressed whenever I'd hit a LaTeX error because the way that tech in LaTeX is written is like in most programming languages, if something goes badly, you get like twenty useful lines that tell you where the problem is. Um in LaTeX you get about 40 unhelpful pages of errors where it's not clear where the error is. Mm -hmm. And some people are good at debugging that. Like they've gotten really good at it. I never got good at it. And I also hadn't been doing LaTeX in quite a while. And it's one thing to be debugging the errors in LaTeX that you're writing. It's another thing to be debugging them in LaTeX that you're procedurally generating or that somebody Mm -hmm. else has made procedurally generate. You're trying to figure out how to make that generated code look like the code you need.
0: Yeah. So for like two drafts of my dissertation, italics didn't work, which is difficult when you're writing a dissertation that frequently has words in Latin and ancient Greek and German and Italian. Um,
1: So let's say, because we probably have people listening to this episode, they're like, what? Italics is super easy in LaTeX. It is super easy. The weird thing was that if it would render in latex using the latex to pdf command it would be fine but morgan had unicode characters for greek. non-english languages like greek and so we had to use xetex like zatech or whatever however you pronounce that which is the unicode capable one and something happened with the fonts where it couldn't load the italic font. It could load it in the LaTeX one and not the ZTech the one, and I could not figure it out. Yeah.
0: So if I, had, if I had text in just Latin, then it would have been fine. But having text in ancient Greek...
1: Yeah. So this is happening when Morgan has to submit a deadline, and I'm trying to help her with her citation stuff, which I'm taking a break from my normal work to do.
0: And pretty much everyone universally is like... Just put it in italics. That's easy.
1: Yeah. And so that was a weird rush. And uh, I feel like we're going to have some people listen to this episode that's like, all oh, this stuff is so easy. Look, it's really easy if you're just doing law tech, if you're auto generating tech, and somebody else has written auto generation code and you're trying to figure out where to put in the hooks. That's where it gets frustrating and difficult, or at least it was for me. So we ended up coming up with a solution of what would be, quote unquote, easier than je- than trying to fix the auto-generated LaTeX.
0: Which is an entire ODT slash ODF exporter.
1: Where ODT and ODF stand for Open Document Format. And the ODT is that the specifically uh, the
0: file format, the
1: file format for the word processor text format. Yeah. Um, it was easier for me to just write a, um, because the thing is, is that we needed to make this match all the stylistic requirements for Morgan's domain for art history. And so at, and since we were running into these weird errors from the auto generated stuff, and also because your committee required it, mm-hmm. right. Committee members complained when they got PDFs, right. They yes. said, I need something I can open in a word processor. Yeah. So even if we didn't hit the stylistic issues, we still needed the ODF exporter anyway.
0: Yeah, for certain people. Right. Um, And then that way, Chris was able to fix, like, 98% of the problems procedurally. But then the 2% of the problems that needed to be done manually, like... Having the footnotes say IBID when you have two footnotes by the same author on the same page, page, um, I was able to just go in and edit those in LibreOffice. In the
1: word processor, right. So the auto-generated code Mm -hmm. didn't know what page those footnotes were going to end up on. So it didn't know where to put the IBID. By the way, that IBID stuff is annoying for people who don't use auto-generated stuff, too. Because if you shift around text in your document, yeah, then, then the footnotes shift around. yeah. And so that's like an annoying step either way. So in this case, it's well, just one...
0: It's also an annoying thing to ask someone who's sending you a draft because that's the last thing you do. Right. Once <laughs> once you're no longer adding pages or removing pages right. from a book, then you do IBID.
1: So So... That's those types of last minute tweaks you could then do on your own without any involvement from me. Yeah. Um so we're so let's uh um the last thing that ended up being difficult um is that it was a time shift thing, right? Yeah.
0: Basically we were sure that I wasn't going to get something externally that I needed to hit a deadline. We were sure that that wasn't going to happen, so we weren't too ter- too worried about the deadline.
1: We Well, we thought that there was going to be a deadline that was further out, basically. Yeah.
0: And then we got that external thing that I needed in order to hit that deadline a week before the deadline. So... And then I got a extension.
1: So so basically, so we basically, ended basically up had two, two weeks. weeks. So suddenly it went to Morgan needs to finish... The two thirds, and you ended up finishing more than two thirds. I
0: finished three quarters three at quarters. least.
1: Draft of your dissertation. Um, and but also you needed to have the ODF exporter so that it could be opened in a word processor
0: so that I could get all of the formatting things I needed,
1: and that needed to be done in two weeks. So, this is after Activity Pub Conference and Racket Con, and after we did a week long hackathon. In Activity Pub Conference where we're super exhausted and we're like, finally we can take a break. Suddenly we have a two week rush. Uh, and that's why we're sounding so tired in these last two episodes, yes. basically. Um Yeah.
0: So, Chris, do you want to talk about some of the lessons you learned from writing an ODTX border?
1: Yeah, so um so when So I didn't know anything about open document format. I just knew that it was an open format. And I knew that org mode had an ODF exporter that I tested exporting a document and was like, okay, can I open this and try to figure it out? And I took a look at it and I'm like, okay, it's a zip file that has some XML files inside of it. Okay, I don't know what any of this stuff means, but I know that that's something I can work with. In theory, I'll be able to write an ODF exporter. Wait, it's in a two-week deadline? Okay, I've got to figure out how to write all this stuff really fast. So, um, the first thing I did is I think tried to take in too much at once, and then I had a panic attack.
0: Probably reading all of the scribble documentation.
1: Well, well, no, actually, oh, that was
0: how you calmed down. That's from the how panic I calmed attack.
1: down, right? Because
0: Chris reading documentation is one it, of the ways calming. that they relax,
1: right? First thing I did was try to read all of the Scribble source code uh, for the HTML exporter, which was way too complicated. So I then looked at the markdown exporter they had, which was much simpler, very short amount of code to read. And then I printed out all the Scribble documentation, compared that small amount of code for that one renderer and the Scribble documentation side by side, Um, just spent an afternoon reading that. I'm like, okay, I understand how the Scribble stuff works. Then I opened up the open document format uh, uh, spec, and if you open up that spec, which we will link to in the show notes, it is enormous, like huge, because it's doing like a lot of things, right? And like, to be fair, a lot of other specs are enormous and huge. If you open up the HTML5 quote unquote spec, or even the HTML4 specs, they're huge, Right? So I think ODF is great. I actually think the spec is good. It's just a lot of information. Yeah, it's just too much information to just try to read it top to bottom. So
0: because th- contrary to what you would like to believe, you are not a computer.
1: I'm not a computer or Maybe.
0: a cyborg yet.
1: Yeah, not not yet. Maybe someday. So what 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 I did is I opened up. I um, uh, you wrote. Two document uh, one document in two formats, and I wrote one document yeah. and, so you... so
0: basically we wrote the same simple document uh, with the same formatting things. so basically a lorem ipsum with the same formatting for like header and then um, category and subcategory, italics, bold, those kinds of things. Um, and I wrote it in scribble and natively in LibreOffice.
1: And in LibreOffice, you styled it mostly the way that you needed it styled for your dissertation. Yep. And then so saved the LibreOffice thing. And then I could look at the Scribble thing for reference for what I needed to compare back and forth. Um, and then I also wrote it in org mode because org mode had an ODF, ODT exporter that I could theoretically read fairly reasonably um, and did an exporter from there, an export to ODT from there and. Um, Org mode, since it's not Org mode's exporter is a, a bit easier to follow, I think than and the exported code than the LibreOffice stuff, um, and also is a fairly small amount of code, so that was very helpful. So I was then able to open those up, take a look at them, and be like, okay, I can understand what this is and what I need to produce. So the the, the,
0: the so, so how does this all work?
1: Okay, so let's talk about what it actually is um, odf is basically open document format you can do one of two things you can either make odf as a single xml file in the odf format where you write out that big old xml tree for your word processor document or your spreadsheet or whatever following that structure or let's say you've got images or you're following some sort of style spreadsheet or something like that the other option is it's a zip file So you can open, you can, most ODF files, either you can open it in a plain text coded editor and you'll just see XML, or you can take the ODF file and you can type unzip and it'll dump a bunch of stuff in your current directory. So make sure you put it in a directory where you don't mind a bunch of stuff being dumped. Um, And what it has in there, the key things are there's a content or contents.xml. Basically, that's your actual document, right? Your that's the actual XML tree of your, you know, your your word processor document or your spreadsheet or whatever. There's also a style or styles.xml file, which has all the styling information for, by which you've, uh, you're going to end up marking things up. And you can compare that to HTML and CSS, basically. The content.xml is going to be similar to your HTML file and the styles.xml is going to be similar to your CSS file. And for the most part, like once... I started looking at examples. I was like, oh, this is actually pretty understandable and manageable. Most of this is just paragraphs and sections and headers. And then the rest of it is mostly, you know, these uh, specific styled things. Right. So it it actually, once I understood that, it wasn't too hard. Now, since you're writing an art history paper, you happen to have some
0: images. Some.
1: Right. A few. A few, right? So
0: A few dozen.
1: Yeah, I think it gets close to 100 or something. It's 118. Oh, 118? Okay. Well... Um, I know this. <laughs> so the the other thing that it includes um, can be, you know, the various binary files that are going to get included, right? So in this case, images. So what you do basically is you can make a subdirectory inside of the, the zip file where you dump all of those, so, you know, capital I images in this case, and then just dump in all the images. And then you've got another file that's, like, manifest.xml or manifest.rdf. It actually, I think, supports both, and I don't know why. I just use the manifest.xml. And then you that's basically just where you say, this file is here, and... It's of this MIME type. It's going to be a JPEG. This one's going to be a PNG. This one's going to be a blah, blah, blah. And so you just write that out there. Once you've done that, you can then reference all of those inside of your um, your content at XML. So now you can say, and now I'm linking in the image. And now I'm linking in this image. Now I'm linking in this image. Now I'm linking, this image, I'm linking in this 3D graphics, right? Or whatever. So um, So yeah, so that's basically it. Um, once I knew that, it wasn't too hard. It was just doing that, comparing, to, looking at other Scribble exporters. Once I understood the Markdown one, I could finally understand their HTML one. And a lot of the processes were very similar between me writing the ODF one and writing the, uh, the, uh, OD, the, uh, their HTML and my ODF one. Mm-hmm. So in the end, it was just basically a lot of manual work. Once I had sufficient understanding.
0: Yeah. And it works.
1: It it prints out.
0: It prints out. And it uh, the only things that I had to manually change in the end were the IBID things. And then there were a couple of places where I put in manual page breaks because either a table was split or um, the images were separated from their captions.
1: It, it is possible to mark the tables so that it won't split the tables in the middle. Yeah. I just didn't have time to add that to the code at the point where we did that. But Yeah, like, and it,
0: that and by the time that we got it exported and ev- almost everything was fine, I'm like, I can do this. Yeah. Because I had to go through page by page to make sure that the citations were fine anyways.
1: Go to sleep, Chris. I can put in page breaks. Yes, uh, that,
0: that's something I'm capable of doing.
1: So, so so, so it's, it's good? Ready
0: to look under the
1: hood? Well, so maybe by the time this episode comes out, actually what we're hoping is, since we're recording two episodes in one night, uh, that by the time this episode comes out, that I will have um, submitted a pull request or merge request, whatever you want to call it, to the Scribble repository with the ODF ODT thing. The way that it was written, though, was just... I just committed that thing straight into Morgan's repository and basically just ended up talking with Morgan. I'm like, okay, you know, I've updated the command. If you export it more, these things should look correct now. And Morgan could test on, yeah. on her end.
0: It was, it was, uh, it was an emergency, uh,
1: yeah. the
0: completion cr- of it. So. The current
1: state of the code is not pretty. But Hopefully it works. in two weeks. But I submit the, the merge request. It'll be pretty-er. It'll
0: be pretty good.
1: Pretty good. <laughs> pretty good formatting.
0: Yes. It's... So that is uh, my dissertation in Scribble.
1: Right. So in the future, when Morgan has completed her dissertation, we will do an actual episode on the contents. Yeah. The contents.xml.
0: We're going to wait until after the defense. Right. to do that though
1: but that's at least on the horizon now like you're you're
0: it's probably um february or march
1: hopefully i mean this all entirely depends on the graciousness of your committee so let's, yes uh, all the fun of academia committee if you're out there listening we're counting Oof. on you it's <laughs> like <"No>. <laughs> that's gonna that's gonna stress out more too much committee if you're out there listening don't tell Morgan. Uh, <laughs> yes.
0: If you're out there listening, don't tell me that you found this podcast until after I defend, please.
1: Yes. Okay. So we've reached the end of this episode. Yeah. I think we're actually done.
0: I'm sorry if we just rambled at you two weeks in a row. We, um, we did
1: just ramble at people we two weeks in a row. very tired. But hopefully the content was enjoyable. Listen, I broke my attempt to uh, detox on my caffeine and Morgan did not. So that, that can compare, account for a relative amount of energy levels in this episode. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, All right.
0: thank you everybody.
1: Thanks. Hope you enjoyed. Take care. Bye. Bye. Foss and Crafts is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 international license.
0: It's hosted by Morgan LemmerWeber and Christopher LemmerWeber.
1: The intro music is composed by Christopher Lemmerweber, meaning myself, and Milky Tracker, and is released under the same license as the show.
0: The outro music is Enchanted Tiki 86, composed by Alex Smith of The Cynic Project, and is waived into the public domain under CC01.0. See cynicmusic.com for more information.
1: You can get in contact with us on the Fediverse, Foss and Crafts, at octodon.social on twitter as at foss and crafts or you can email us podcast at foss and org.
0: we also have a chat room join our community hash foss and crafts on irc.freenode.net
1: if you'd like to support the show you can donate at patreon.com forward slash c w e b b e r
0: that's it for this week
1: until next time stay
0: free and stay crafty
1: Hello, welcome to Foss and Crafts. Don't laugh <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> laughing. Do you look like you're going to <laughs> you there?
0: Do it again, Chris
1: Do it again, Chris. get it together, Chris.
0: You can do it, Chris. Stop making faces at me. <laughs> <laughs> trying to be all serious and chris is like wiggling their eyebrows at me
1: <laughs> eyebrow dancing all not right.
0: cool third try
1: <laughs> i have heard that the smells that are in cat food are like the like wet cat food like are there's two different smells one of them is like smells to make it palatable for humans and ones to make it palatable for cats and like the cats actually are not as interested in the human things i'm not sure if that's true because like cat seem some cats seem perfectly happy to eat human food morgan's giving me feel like this is
0: quite a tangent this
1: is quite a tangent and maybe nobody wants to think about eating animal food food anymore all right so let's move on
0: (laughs) how's that compared to the activity pub spec
1: activity pub spec and activity streams are fairly comparatively short compared to most specs uh congratulations thanks i mean it's still a lot to take in but you know if you read specs it's you know it's closer to yeah. Let's not again. I I'm not trying to compare myself. You can even you can even put 3D graphics inside of uh, ODF files. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, that is
0: a tangent we do not need to get into right now. I
1: don't know much about it. I'm just amazed when reading the ODF spec to find out that it exists. Hire Morgan uh, if you want an art historian or someone to okay, do.
0: It's a little bit tacky to do that two weeks in a row.
1: Okay, well. We needed an outtakes. (laughs) Although we already had good outtakes.
0: We did have good outtakes.
1: Which outtakes are we going to do? Maybe we'll just include this. No. You're going to edit it. So you get to decide. Morin gives me a somber nod.